Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plans, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Uh, yeah, like she said, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Luke Gain. I have the privilege of being Chris and John's son-in-law. I am uh, the husband of McKenna Blue, which is uh, one of the greatest joys of my life. Um, bonus dad to major, and it's just, it's been uh, a phenomenal few months. Uh, if you guys want any marriage advice, we're great at it already. It's been a few months, so we're clearly in the know. We're great. I'm kidding. I'm 100% kidding. Um, I'm really excited today uh, to be able to preach to you. It's always a privilege to be able to preach, to be able to dive into God's word with you guys, um, to be able to present his word to you, and hopefully allow the Holy Spirit to do a work through me today. So I'm just a vessel. Um, hopefully this is not my wisdom, and this is not my intelligence, but rather straight from scripture. Um, but before we get into it today, I, wanted, I did want to start, um, it's just been kind of challenged with some questions, and I kind of want to challenge you guys with some questions at the risk of maybe causing some conflict. So you got to turn to the person next to you, maybe introduce yourself, understand, and just agree right now that we're going to walk out of here as loving Christians, Christ-like, it's going to be okay. These topics might be controversial, um, and I want you guys to discuss them, that's fine. Um, but just some questions to kind of get us rolling today, a little bit of warm-up. Um, I do this because it's just kind of my tendency. I'm also, throughout the week, I'm a high school teacher. I teach at Huntington Beach High School uh, in special ed English. So we kind of have to start the day off with a warm-up. Um, I'd like to start this morning off with a warm-up too. Do I have to turn this on? Oh, sure do. Here we go. Boom. Okay, so some important questions. Why is it called a speed bump if it's meant to slow you down? Questions that have plagued me for sure. But why is it called, can you guys see? I, okay. Why is it called a speed bump if it's meant to slow you down? Another one? Okay. Is cereal soup? Yes. We have a yes in the back. Thank you. I don't really know. Uh, are hot dog sandwiches? Yes. That one got a little bit of a mixed review. I heard some yeses over here, some no's in the, over in the right. Middle is kind of like neutral, a little Swedish ground. Um, is water wet? Oh, a lot of yeses, a strong no from the right. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Okay, okay. This one is going to be tough here, folks. Let me just hold on real quick. I got to get prepared for this one. Is cheerleading a sport? <laughs> I'm asking the question. I'm just asking the question. Look, at, did you see the aggression right there? Again, this is, again, something to just be cautious of. You don't want to, like, cause any, con I don't want to be dissentious, right, this week or on the way to the car or on the way home. It's getting a little bit more serious. Um, what is light and where does it come from? Have you ever thought about that? Science can't ask that. Yeah, we were at coffee one time, and this guy was just like mulling over just stacks of yellow uh, legal pads and paper all over the table. We finally went up and introduced him. He was from Puerto Rico. Uh, I think he was from Puerto Rico, like this scientist and researcher, and he's like, I'm trying to figure out and study 
light and the theory of light and where does it come from and, and what is its source? What is it actually? Maybe we say lightning, we say light bulb, but where, where is its actual source? Science can't really answer that, but I digress. We started a little silly, but we'll get into a little bit more um, serious and kind of head towards what we're going to be talking about today. Who is God? We claim every week that we love God. We proclaim it all week long that we love God. But who is he? Or what is God? Who is God or what is God? The Westminster Catechism defines it as such. God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Uh, A.W. Tozer says, and it's one of his most famous quotes, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, who is God is a fantastic question that I want to challenge you guys with this week. But the one that kept coming to mind and what I want you to take a second to think about is, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Um, This question stumped me pretty hard when I was interning at a church up in Pacific Palisades up in the LA area, and uh, we had hot seat. And high school students can ask us any question they'd like. And one of the students asked, Luke, why are you a Christian? And why is an incredibly difficult question to answer. Uh, Simon Sinek, he's an inspirational, um, British-born American author and speaker, and he quantified what why is, the question of why. Um, he says and explains, our brain is constituted of three major components. Our newest brain, our neocortex, corresponds with the what level. It is responsible for all of our rational and analytical thought and our language. The middle two sections make up our limbic brains. It is responsible for all of our feelings, like trust and loyalty. It is also responsible for all human behavior and all decision-making, and it has no capacity for language. Sometimes you can give all the facts and figures, but they say, I know, I know what all the facts and figures say, but it just doesn't feel right. Now, why would we use the verb, it doesn't feel right? Because the part of the brain that controls decision-making doesn't control language. Why is incredibly hard to articulate, nearly impossible. But this man, you can look this up on YouTube, it's a TED Talk by Simon Sinek, it is fantastic. If you've studied him, he's great. Um, But he quantifies it into what he calls the golden circle. Um, The golden circle, you start in the middle with why, and then go out to how, and then go into what. And so he goes to different businesses and different CEOs and tries to get them to function through and start with why. Most people, including us and including the church, start with what. And he gives this really cool example of Apple. He loves Apple because Apple starts with why. But if Apple were just like everybody else and started with what, then went to how, then to why, it would sound something like this. And he explains, Apple, if we're like everybody else, what we do, we make great computers. They're beautifully designed, the how, they're beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Why? Want to buy one? Eh, not really, maybe. But Apple, as it is today, starts with why, and they say, everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we do that is by making our product beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. We just happen to make great computers. Want to buy one? And so when we start with the why, it changes the way we think. It appeals to something that we can't actually quantify through language. The church's example today is very similar. Our tendency is to start with what? And at the risk of hurting some feelings in here or 
kind of blow up what churches do, we often continually emphasize and present our mission. And we start with what and forget about why. We start often with, we love God and love others very, very well. How do we do this? We read and study the scriptures daily. We pray without ceasing. We go to church as often as we can, and we follow and trust our church leadership. Why? Insert personal experience here. I had a really cool church and camp experience one summer. I had somebody grab coffee with me and show me all the lists and facts. I, I listened to uh, different apologetics. I read a bunch of books. It's unique to each and every single one of you. But the church that understands why first, I want to talk about that. The church and the Christian that understands why we are Christians, why we come to church every Sunday, why we do what we do, and how we do what we do. Today's scripture is in Ephesians 2, um, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, that would be great to just pull those out right now because we're kind of going to be going through. I'm going to challenge you guys a little bit too um, to be looking at the scripture. Um, it'll be, some of them will be up here behind me, some of them will not, and I'll let you know which ones to turn to. But right now, Ephesians 2 is our crux, our main passage that we're going to talk about today. And it says, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Why? Why? I'm going, you're going to be sick and tired of hearing me say why today. It's going to be just stuck in your brain. I'm going to be saying it a lot. But what in the world? Why would this happen? Why is this the case? I want to walk you guys through that, the, the kind of the whole book of the Bible. I want to walk you guys step by step with how we got to where we got to, how we got to this question. Why are we Christians? Why are you a Christian? And it starts, the answer starts in the very first book, in the very first chapter, in the very first line. I need you guys to turn there with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there with me. If you have your phone, it's okay. I'm a teacher. I don't like phones a whole lot. But in this instance, in this case, I'll give you full permission to use your phone. I'm not going to take it from you. I'll give it to the principal. It's all right. You can pull it out. If you don't have your uh, Bibles here with you today, hopefully you have the app. Um, but you can go to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I'd actually like to read it out loud together. Okay, is that all right? Can we be bold a little bit today? Everybody in here loves each other. We're a church family. We're okay. We're going to be all right. We just worked through cheerleading a sport and made it out alive. Okay, we're going to be okay. So ready? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God... Stop! One more time. Let's do it again. In the beginning, God... Stop! Again. In the beginning, God. Stop. Last time, I promise. In the beginning, God. Stop. This very first sentence is perhaps one of the most profound and yet simple pieces ever of literature ever to be written. And I want to talk about it today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for, um, again, just this opportunity to dive into your word and to understand why we're here, to understand why we are Christians, to understand um, who you are. 
Um, and so, God, will you just help us get a clearer picture of that? For those who, who don't know, for those who see this and, and aren't blown away by your scripture, but blown away by who you are, God, will you just work in their hearts right now um, to remove any sort of pride, to remove the deception, um, to remove anything blocking their way from the truth of who you are, God? Will you please, please, please um, open them up to uh, your spirit and your truth? And again, just uh, open up all of our hearts to exactly what you want us to hear today. And um, I just thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, yes, that was the intro. So if you need to text your lunch plans right now, I'm so sorry. It's going to be a little bit of time. That was just the intro, but I promise I'll try to work through it a little bit. Um, but um, Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. What in this stinking world, what is profound, what is so profound about this statement? Why is this such a big deal? Why does a Hebrew schools all um, in, the, in the east, in Jerusalem and in Israel, every Hebrew school starts with this right here, this practice that I just took you through. They have all their students say, in the beginning, God, stop. What makes this so profound? They do it five times. Think about it for a second. What makes in the beginning God so profound? For the Hebrew schools, for the Jewish language, when they're teaching them Bible, they want their students to understand that this Bible is all about God and all about who he is. It isn't this self-help book. It isn't a list of facts. It isn't a history book. It is who God is and what he has done. And so they want their students to understand that when we go to scripture, we need to constantly look through the lens of when we are reading his word, it is about who God is. But what makes this so profound is that this is his great reveal. The most powerful being to ever exist, that still exists, and that will ever exist, is choosing to reveal himself to all of his creation. He didn't have to. In the beginning, God, he is disclosing himself. He's introducing himself. He's walking into the room and saying, hi, you exist. This all exists because of me. And the most powerful being didn't have to do that. Some of the greatest mysteries in all of the world are left a mystery. We don't know who built this or who painted what or who made this or who wrote that. And it actually makes it more rare. It actually makes it more special. God in his loving character says, hello, I am the beginning. I was at the beginning. My name is God. It's nice to meet you. I'm here to introduce myself. And this is a fantastic mystery. He's beginning to unravel the mystery, unveil the mystery. But what mystery is he talking about? First um, Corinthians 2, 7. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. The plan. What plan? Well, again, it starts in Genesis chapter 1. God chooses to reveal himself in the beginning. God. Hi. Hello. My name's God. It's nice to meet you. In the beginning, here's what I did. This is his great reveal. What happens next? He chooses Abraham, the great father of our religion, the great father of Christianity. God chooses Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Look, at, up to this point, Abraham has done nothing. 
nothing to qualify himself. He wasn't worshiping God. In fact, some readers believe that he was pagan. He was not even, even remotely close, and yet God chooses Abraham. He chooses him to be the leader, the father of all of his people. Next, God chooses Moses and reveals his name. So God chooses Abraham, this guy we, is not, has not done anything. And next he chooses Moses and reveals his name. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's really, really uh, an odd statement for our brains to understand and comprehend. It's very difficult to kind of pick up what that means. But real quick, up to this point, again, Moses was what? He was ostracized from Egypt. He was a murderer. He was outcast by his own people because they saw what happened and started to talk about it. He's been in the desert for years, shepherding people, trying to survive, trying to make it. And it's, <laughs> in modern day context, he was canceled, completely canceled. And then comes across this bush that's on fire yet not being consumed. And God says, Moses, I'm picking you. Who are you, God? Who do I say has sent me to you? Say to them, I am has sent me to you. But what does this title, I am, mean? The Hebrew translates a little bit more thoroughly, more closely to, I be who I will be. Sinclair Ferguson, an amazing Scottish theologian and pastor, says it like this. I am means exactly that. You and I became. Our existence had a beginning, and we are changing every day. We are becoming. We became. We are becoming, and we were. God is simply the great I am. He didn't become. He is not becoming. He has no ending. God simply is. He is all he is, and he always is all he is. And however simple the words I am seem to be, they are really beyond us to grasp. Truly his greatness none can fathom. It's just too much for our little minds to comprehend. We truly know him, but we can't wrap our minds around him. We can only grasp things that have come into being and then die. But here's something important that will save us a headache. I am wanted Moses and his people to know who he really is. He wanted them to know that he saw their needs and cared about them and that he was going to save them. To know God better, Moses needed to know what God said and what he would do. The same thing is true for us, only by God's grace do we know more of what he has done than Moses did. The great I am is the best way to explain it, that we can't wrap our minds around just even that title. Because all we can understand is that this chair was built by somebody, it's going to deteriorate, it's going to die off, and it's going to end up in pieces of trash. Same with all of us. We were born, we're going to live a, hopefully a fantastic life of serving the Lord, of loving others, and then not be here anymore. That's what we can wrap our minds around, and yet God presents himself in Genesis 1 saying, in the beginning, God goes to Father Abraham and chooses him for no particular reason that we can wrap our mind around, then chooses Moses and reveals his name, his character. I am. Next, throughout all the Old Testament, he chooses judges, kings, and prophets. Throughout 1 Samuel, all the way to Malachi, and we could talk about David, we could talk about the judges, we could talk about the various kings, David, Solomon, we could talk about the prophets, Isaiah, all the way through Malachi and what God did. But I want to skip ahead to the main event. Not to discount what happened in the Old Testament. The New Testament begins with God 
choosing Mary to bear his son. In Luke chapter 1, 26 through 34, it explains, uh, or I believe it might be uh, 30 through 38, it explains that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel visits Mary and says, you will bear a son. You've found favor in God's sight. And Mary is really befuddled by this. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Look at Elizabeth, and her, in her old age also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now Gabriel says, O favored one, right? But there's no specific criteria. The scripture doesn't give us here any specific criteria of how she found favor. It just made it clear that God chose her. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourselves, but I'm not favored. There's no possible way that I could be selected. There's no possible way that I could do something this great with this magnitude. But Mary wrestled with the same thing. She was greatly troubled by this saying. She was greatly troubled by this saying and tried to discern what this might mean. And continued, Gabriel continued to say, you have been chosen by God. Or you might be saying, there's no way. There's just I, 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 my history, my past. There's no possible way that a God could love me or pick me to do something as profound as he did with Mary. And while that is a good and humble position, Gabriel makes it clear, nothing will be impossible with God, particularly selecting, choosing, and forgiving the sinner to do his work. Now, what's the hubbub about Jesus? Jesus also chooses to reveal himself. We talked about the great I am. We talked about the title of who God is. Jesus was often persecuted for, yes, the miracles and taking away attention from Pharisees and Sadducees. But one of the greatest things that he did against those authorities, against those religious authorities, was revealing the truth of who he was, the truth of who he is. In John chapter 8, verses, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Pharisees and Sadducees are kind of challenging him. You to have such authority? Do you think that you're older than our father Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And at that moment, the religious authorities picked up stones to stone him. How dare you claim that title? How dare you claim to have never existed? We know your mom, Mary. We know your father, Joseph. We've seen you grow up. How dare you? Jesus here is boldly proclaiming that he is God. He is the great I am. He is the example that we can tangibly look to on a daily basis. But what did he do exactly? How can he claim that uh, all he, uh, he wants to, but what did he, he can claim that all he wants. He can claim that title, he can take it for himself, but what exactly did he do? He chose to make the way for us. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, it says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, big word, 
right? Uh, in, our, in our life groups, when, uh, back in the day when I was uh, helping lead a life group, a bunch of high schoolers, we'd have them read the scriptures on their own. We'd have them journal a little bit, and then we'd come together and say, you guys have any questions? And they're like, nope. A bunch of private school kids got all the answers. And we'd be like, all right, what does propitiation mean? Help us understand. What does it mean? And blank faces, blank stares. Like, you read right by it, and you didn't consider what it meant. You walked right past it. You read through it real quick. You're looking for tips and tricks on how to be a better person. You're not looking for who God is. Propitiation is paying the penalty, appeasing something so that there's not punishment. What is Jesus trying to appease? What is he trying to propitiate on our behalf? It is God's wrath. It is God's wrath. We often think that it is our sin that he's saving us from. He's saving us from God's wrath. Yes, he has forgiven our sin and wiped us clean, but it is God's wrath. Why? I don't really like a God of wrath. I don't like that title. I don't like thinking of him as somebody who would um, destroy something or send people to hell. I don't like that place. I don't like talking about it. In my last sermon, I talked about hell being a location for people who do not want to spend their time with God. And if you do not want to spend your time with God here in the temporary, why would you want to spend your time with him in the eternal? Hell is a location, a place, a punishment, a loving, just punishment for people who do not want to be with him. Same with not having a Disney pass. The loving, just punishment is being outside of the gate. Can't come in, sorry. I still don't like it though. So let me explain. Love without wrath isn't love. It's something else entirely. His love is derivative and proof. His wrath is derivative and proof of his love. Let me share with you an example that might twist you up a little bit. For those of you with spouses, the thought of them and you watching them get physically abused. For those of you who have children, watching them on the playground get brutally picked on. Gangs of kids laughing at them, watching your child just, just drain tears from their eyes. Rape, murder, all wrongdoing, and injustice should start to stir some type of emotion and gut-wrench feeling. God watches it and sees it every day. But God is a God of love, not passivity. He doesn't stand idly by. There must be justice. There must be something done. Deep love, true love has wrath boiling just beneath the surface. At an instant, if anybody messed with my wife, at an instant, it'd be very, very dangerous to anybody who would dare because of my love for her, because of my love for Major, if anyone picked on that boy you'd see a, probably a different person that maybe definitively might not be very biblical. I don't like the God of the Old Testament because of what he's done. I really, really like this Jesus guy. But Jesus knew what was coming for us. God loves you enough to correct, to discipline, to punish because he wants us to be holy like he is holy. So why are you a Christian? Because God chose you. God 
chose you to be. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made his son to be sin who knew no sin, to be the brunt of his wrath, to be completely separate from him. We often dive into the emotionality. We can connect with the physical torture that he endured, but the greatest torture that Jesus went through is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the complete separation between father and son. It's the complete abandonment. It's the complete, I cannot associate with sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? What would prompt a God to do this? I don't know. But that wasn't my question earlier. My question to you earlier was why are you a Christian? And understanding why he did this helps us understand why we are a Christian. We must first understand that he chose us. This season right now is a very tough and emotional season because, as some of you may know, it is the NHL playoffs. And for those of you who watch, even if you're not a fan, can look at a screen Even to a point for me, I can look at a logo, various lines and angles of black and silver and feel a burning hatred towards the LA Kings. It's an emotional time. And we can get emotional when we win. You'll see, if you watch it, you'll see um, these men, grown men with wives and kids, incredibly tough with probably broken bones and torn ligaments, cry as they hoist a 30-pound piece of silver. And then an interviewer will come up to them and ask them, how does it feel? And they won't be able to articulate it. They won't be able to say, man, it feels so good. Some of them will just not be able to say words. So when I asked you earlier, why are you a Christian? My bet would be that some of us started to try thinking about bullet points and sequence out events, or sequence out facts. Uh, it's, you know, it's, um, it makes the most sense to me. The Bible is incredibly true. Um, a lot of apologetic books just make uh, a list of facts that just, you know, they're, they're, they, you can't argue them. Uh, I've tried all of the religions, and this one just works the best for me. Uh, the other ones are kind of a little ridiculous. I like that I get to serve. I like that I get to be a part of a, uh, uh, a community. But we've been greatly affected by the Enlightenment that the Western world always has to start thinking about bullet points and fact-based, evidence-based, scientific fact. But God's great revealing of his glory to you is an astounding mystery. In the beginning, God should stir some affection, should stir some turmoil to not know how to articulate it. Similar to how Simon Sinek says that why is incredibly hard to articulate. God's great revealing of his glory to you is an astounding mystery. It is an emotional experience. It is a physical experience, and it is a spiritual one. So I've tried formulating an answer, 
based on the scripture, based on God choosing to reveal himself in Genesis 1, choosing Father Abraham, choosing Moses, choosing the judges, the kings, the prophets, choosing to send his son, his son choosing to reveal himself, his son choosing to die on the cross and make a way, his son choosing to come back, his son choosing you. Why are you a Christian? The great I am revealed himself to me through his saving power. He opened my spirit to the truth, not because of anything I have done, but because of who he is. He defeated sin and death to make a way for me to be in relationship with him so that I would go represent him to others through his power. This is the gospel. Jesus in Matthew preaches the gospel. How? He didn't die. He didn't go into the tomb for three days. He didn't resurrect. The gospel is the Bible. The gospel is making clear that the God of the world, the God of the universe, the most powerful being in all of existence to ever exist, that still exists and that will ever exist, chose to make a way to be in relationship with you. When he didn't have to, constantly. Jesus didn't have to come back. They are the most powerful being. It is the most powerful trinity. They can create a different way. They can create a different subscription model. They could be the most wealthiest and richest beings in all of the world. They can take all of our possessions. They could do whatever they want, but they don't. Why? The character of who God is, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We did nothing to become a Christian, to be revealed to the truth of who God is and what he has done. We can reword this to put ourselves into the context. For by grace, I've been saved through faith. It is not because of anything I've done. It is the gift, the gift of God. I can't boast in anything but the fact that God chose me. Earlier, we talked about the golden circle. All right, real quick. Ephesians 2, read the whole thing. It starts with, you were dead in your trespasses. It finishes, you were chosen. Dead. You don't have a choice. Dead. You didn't pick a medicine. You didn't pick a medication. You didn't pick a route. You were dead. God chose you. A profound mystery. Why would he do that? We talked a little bit earlier about the golden circle. We talked about our church's tendency today. What? When we start with what? It's very clear. We know it well. We love God and we love others. How do we do this? We read and study our Bibles every day. We pray consistently. We show up to church when and as often as we can, and we trust and follow our church leadership. Why? I made a decision at camp one time. I had a really good coffee with a friend of mine who walked me through. That's the tendency. When we don't start with why, though, we often forget how to articulate the how or, how or practice the how and articulate the what. We get fearful of the what because the what then is dependent upon us, not dependent upon God. Loving God and loving others isn't dependent upon you or me. It's dependent upon how you allow the Holy Spirit to use you. But church that understands the why first, the great I am revealed himself to me through his saving power. 
He opened my spirit to the truth, not because of anything I have done, but because of who he is. He defeated sin and death to make a way for me to be in relationship with him so that I would go represent him to others through his power. How do I do this? By reading and studying scripture every day. By praying consistently. By going to church as often as I can, maybe even begging for more church throughout the week, more men's and women's events, more life groups, more studies, more coffees. I trust and follow my church leadership. What do I do? My life is forever changed to live like and look more like God's son. The greater mystery of all this, this is why we're Christian. The greater mystery is why God has done what he's done in the first place. It is not why we're a Christian. God makes it very clear. Why you are a Christian is because I chose you. I picked you. I loved you specifically, and I can give you everything that I have in relationship. I not my attention, my love is not divided into increments of, tr- of trillions upon trillions. I'm giving you my all. I chose you, but why? The greater mystery of is why he would do that in the first place. But we can know why we are a Christian. We can understand why much better when we know who God is. Spoiler alert, how we do that is next week. I'm not Eddie is talking about how we do this. Unplanned, unscheduled, how we do this by dying to yourself and living like Christ. Are you ready? Yes. Let's pray. God, thank you so much again for um, who you are and uh, what you've done for the truth of who you are throughout scripture. God, pray that we would uh, continue to look to your word throughout this week, uh, that we would see who you are truly. God, will you open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our eyes to see who you truly are and understand, try to comprehend and understand why you would even pick us, what your character is like, why you choose to make a new day for everybody, why you give us common gifts of grace why you've saved us. God, we love you very much and uh, we, we want to continue to love you more. Will you remove our pride? Will you remove our impurity? Will, we, will you help remove our doubt by seeking you more thoroughly? Will you give us a new fervor for your word? Will you heal the broken? Will you uh, get rid of the plateau, the apathy, by continuing to show us who you are? We're so grateful that you've picked us. We're so grateful that you've chosen us to work through us. God, I ask that you would help work through us more, more fervently in this community, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. Be with these people today and uh, this week, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.